0: Uh, just a little bit ago about the evidence of God, and misfaith going out is one of the evidences of God moving in our midst. And uh, Some of you know that on Wednesday night, we have a men's Bible study, and this past Wednesday, we, there's a gentleman named Joe who comes to that. A lot of you don't know Joe because he works on Sunday. The only time he can come is Wednesday night. He's a friend of Jeff's, and uh, Jeff's been witnessing him, talking to him, and he uh, prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, so I just want you to know that um, <clears throat> not just on Sunday morning, but on um, Wednesday nights with our kids, with our youth, and the men's Bible study, uh, at Women's Bible Study, when they meet on Thursdays, there's, God is moving in a lot of ways. And uh, if we open our eyes, like we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, we can see the evidence of God. Even in difficult times, even in times where you go through things where you don't understand, God is always moving. Uh, and if we stop and pause and listen, we see the evidence of His Holy Spirit and what He's doing all around us. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, Our scripture this morning is coming from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 26. A story that a lot of you will be familiar with, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 26. And it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him. And loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? It's God's word for God's people. Now thousands of years ago, before the invention of the selfie, the mirror changed the way that we look at ourselves. Mirrors have certainly made us more self-conscious. They've made us more self-aware. By looking in the mirror, we can assess ourselves and and know what we need to change. Some people cannot walk by a mirror without checking themselves out and seeing how they need to adjust things. A few weeks ago, we had a, a service and. Got home. When I got home, Michelle asked me, she said, Are you okay? And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." Why? And she said, "Well, you just look a little disheveled today, a little out of order today." She Said your hair is a little messed up, your collar was messed up, and everything. And I was just wondering, "Are you all right?" And I was like, "Well, you know, we do a nine o'clock service, and there's a thirty mile an hour wind today, and uh, you know, it's like, sorry." And she was like, "Well, do you not have a mirror you can look at before you get on YouTube and Facebook?" Said, "Don't embarrass me," uh, and everything. To which I said, because we were in April, the month that we were supposed to be doing acts of kindness, I said, that's not very kind and everything. (laughs) So, um, but wouldn't it be nice if we had a mirror that we could look at and get a picture of what our soul was like to see how we're doing spiritually, And in reality, Jesus says there is a mirror that reflects where we are spiritually and how we view things, and that mirror is really how we treat our possessions and how we treat financial things and how God has blessed us. What we do with those things and our attitude towards those things is a reflection of our trust in God, and it's a reflection of where we are spiritually What does a gallon of gas say about us spiritually today? After this week, where is our trust? Where is our hope? We all know we live in a culture of consumption. We are 7% of the world's population, yet we consume most of the oil and water in the world. We own the most cars, have the most money. We spend more on advertising in our country than most countries' entire gross national product. And advertisers have even learned that if you put the label green or organic on it, We just pay more for it because it somehow eases our conscience and think that it's better for us. We pay more for a green car, an electric car. We pay more for a big screen TV because it's energy saving. And now all of a sudden that becomes a selling point for us. Advertisers promise us that if we purchase this product, then all of a sudden our life will be so much less stressful and we will have an easy life. It's gotten so bad that we even advertise hospitals and doctors that this hospital and this doctor have what we need. And not only that, we advertise prescriptions like they are now automobiles or food All around us, we are a culture of consumption and our jobs are no longer about fulfillment. They have become about maintaining a status or trying to live to a certain level and we have become consumed with this culture and we begin to hoard and we have become consumers instead of stewards. One day there was a dad who took his son to McDonald's The dad brought his son some french fries, and as they were sitting there just enjoying each other's company and talking about the day, the dad reached over to grab some fries off his son's tray when the son grabbed the fries and kind of pulled them to himself and said, these are my fries. Well, the dad was a little bit in shock. He could not imagine his son's attitude about the french fries, and he began to think to himself... My son has no idea that I am the source of his french fries. I mean, five minutes ago, I was the one at the counter popping down the money to buy the french fries. I pulled out my wallet, gave the girl money. She gave me the box of fries. Now he is sitting there and does not realize or does not appreciate that I am the source of what he has. He's eating french fries because of me. Secondly, not only does he realize that I am the source of the French fries, but I have the power and the ability that if I wanted to, I could reach over there and take his French fries, and there's nothing he could do about it. I paid for them. They're mine. I'm the dad. I'm the source. I have the authority. So if I wanted to, I could take them. And what's even worse is he don't realize that if I really wanted to prove a point, I could go up to the counter and drop a $100 bill and buy the french fries they've got and bury him in french fries and give him more than he could ever want, more than he could ever eat. I could take them from them. I could bury them in them. I could do what I want because I am the source of them. You ever think God may feel like that about us? And how we treat what he has entrusted to us. He blesses us in so many ways with so many things. And he asks us to share our time, our talent, our resources. And sometimes we say, no, 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 these are mine. And God says, child, don't you realize I am the source of all that you have? That if I wanted, it, I could take it from you or I could bless you abundantly more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. I don't need what you have. I don't want what you have. I want you to share. What he's concerned about is not the possession, the time, the talent, the resource, whatever it is. What he's concerned about is our attitude towards it and that we realize that he is the source and that our trust is not in what we have, but our trust is in the one who provides what we learn first about our heavenly father is that he is a giving god the first verse most of us learns john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave and as his children god wants us to reflect him and by reflecting him he wants us to be giving It was Howard Dayton in his book, Your Money Counts, who wrote that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were concerned about how we handle our possessions. Jesus said more about our possessions and money than he did every other subject. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and yet there's over 2,000 verses on money and possessions and our attitude towards it because it's our attitude towards money and our attitude towards possessions that is a mirror to our soul and where we are in standing with God. We've been talking about soul shifts the last several weeks, and today, obviously, we talk about the shift of moving from a consumer to a steward. And from the Gospel of Mark, we join the disciples as they are following Jesus along the way. And a man comes up to them and he falls at Jesus' feet and says this question, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' reply is to give him some of the Ten Commandments. He gives him five of the Ten Commandments. Now, the five that he gives him are all in the last half of the Ten Commandments and deal with what we do with each other and our relationship with each other. He doesn't address any of the first commandments that talk about our relationship with God. So Jesus is pointing out immediately that our relationship with God is played out and lived out in how we treat and what we do with one another. And so he lists these commandments Commandments out to this young man, and then he responds by saying, I've done all of these since I was a child. And Jesus says, Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And the man's face falls, and he walks away sad because he is wealthy. Now the Bible describes him as wealthy, he's rich, he's a rich young ruler. Wealth gives us freedom. It gives us independence that we don't have in other ways. He has a control on his life. He could look at his life every day and decide what he was going to do and what he wasn't going to do because he had resource and he had freedom and he had independence. Wealth is not the problem with the rich young ruler. It's not that he's rich. The problem is is that his richness has become a detriment in the relationship with him and God. Understand? that having possessions and having nice things is not a problem. There's nothing wrong with money. I hope you make all you can. The issue is what your money does to you. It's not do you have money, it's does your money have you? It's your attitude towards it. It's who owns who. It's like a, a fly stuck on fly paper. The fly's not holding on to the fly paper. The fly paper's holding on to the fly. And a lot of times it's our possessions that are holding on to us. We're not holding on to them. He's young. He has been successful early in life. The future looks bright for him. He has influence. What he says and what he does impacts other people. He is a ruler. He has earned respect, esteem, prestige. Other people answer to him and listen to him. He has authority, and not only does he have authority and people come to him for answers as a ruler, he seems to be a nice guy, a moral guy. He has kept the commandments, at least to the best of his ability, and and says this to Jesus. So he's the kind of guy that you would want for a friend, the kind of guy you'd want for a neighbor, the kind of guy that you would want to date your daughter. And he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, he's a moral guy. He's got all of this going for him. But notice the question he asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the question Jesus answers. It's the central question of the text. It's not about possessions, but the quest for eternal life. The subject of possessions come up only because they are preventing him from experiencing eternal life. Too often we try to push these words of Jesus on to everyone else, but ignore them ourselves. But Jesus is saying to him, go and sell all you have because he realizes that the possessions have become an idol for him. And notice that this interaction happens immediately. immediately. Immediately after Jesus has just told his followers that they have to become like children of God to receive the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has just answered the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You have to become a child of God. You have to put your trust in who he is. You have to enter into a relationship with your heavenly father. That's what you do to inherit eternal life. You have to see yourself as a child, and a child trusts in a relationship. A child doesn't trust in possessions. If we take a $20 bill and take it over to the nursery or over to the to the toddlers over here, they don't care that Andrew Jackson's picture's on that piece of paper. They will wad it up, throw it, maybe, you know, eat it maybe. There's no telling what they'll do with it, but it means absolutely nothing to them because to them... that's not a source of of security. It's not a source in relationship. It's not anything to them. But... They find their trust in a relationship. They find their trust in a mom and a dad who provides for them. They find their trust in that relationship, not in anything else. And so what God is saying to us is we have to find our trust not in what we have, not in our retirement account, not in how much gas we have in our tank, not in how much toilet paper we have in our closet. We have our trust in God who provides for us every day. When Jesus tells us to pray, how does He teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. We don't look out 10 years from the future and start trying to plan this, that, and everything else, but our trust is in what God is doing today, that today God will provide for us. When the children of Israel ate the manna that God gave them every day in the desert, they got enough for that day. If they collected too much, it turned into maggots. They had to trust that God would give them what they needed for that day. God tells us that... If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to us? He is our loving heavenly father. He tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that if he clothes the lilies of the field and he feeds the birds of the air, will he not take care of us? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Trust in God today. And so Jesus says that's where eternal life begins. It's in a trusting, loving, heavenly father relationship. In the end, the reason it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God is because he doesn't trust God. You see, your possessions and our attitude towards it reveals where our trust is, where our hope is. God often forbid the children of Israel from entering into alliances with, with foreign countries and things because he wanted them to trust in them. The psalmist says some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't trust in Egypt. We don't trust in foreign alliances. We trust in God to provide for us. But our possessions in the world causes us to view things from a different lens. In the world, they view possessions as meaningless to our spiritual life. Jesus views possessions as the center of your spiritual life, as a reflection of what he's doing in your life and your attitude towards him. Our attitude towards what we have is a mirror to our soul. Our possessions, our treasure, they lead us to a reflection. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the world, it views possessions as evidence of God's blessing. You hear this in the church all the time, too, that if you know, you're living right, if God's doing this or that, God's going to bless you, and if you have enough faith that you know, God's going to bless this, and you know, God's just this wealth and health, prosperity gospel that, that just pours itself out. But Jesus says in reality that wealth and, and, and possessions are an obstacle to overcome, In the world, their view is that what you earn and own is yours. In Jesus' view, what you have is given and managed. You are a steward of what has been entrusted to you. He doesn't want what you have, but he wants you to manage it and leverage it for the kingdom of God. In the world economy, giving up things is a risk. It's an investment. It's a sacrifice. In Jesus' economy, it's a blessing. It's an ability to, to... a road to eternal life. It helps you see eternal things over temporal things. If you think of giving up everything is too hard, try following Jesus while holding on to it. it can't happen. And so Jesus says, You have to trust me with everything. So how do we move from being a consumer to being a steward? First thing you need to do is realize what's enough. We always are striving for more and more. We never get to a place where enough is enough. How many of you made more this year than you made last year? You don't have to raise your hand. I know if you are y'all starting to sit on your hands, afraid you know, with lifted mask. Now he's going to start passing plates and stuff, you know, but. Uh, you know, if you made more than you made last year, what's your goal this year? Probably to make more than you made last year. We get into this cycle where we're always more and more. And enough is never enough. And so to move from being a consumer and steward, you need to sit down and think, what is enough? At what point have I got enough? It is said that John Wesley who lived in Britain, so he didn't make dollars, he made pounds. Um, He made 30 pounds one year, and he lived on 27 and gave the other three away. The second year, he made 60 pounds, so he lived on 27 and gave 33 away. And the third year, he he made 90 pounds, and so he lived on 27 and gave 63 away. He figured out what is enough, and then what he didn't need, he gave it away. Paul talks about in Philippians about I know what it is to have plenty. He said, I've been in situations where I've got plenty more than I need. He said, I've been in situations where I've been hungry, desperate, shipwrecked. I've been in both extremes. And you said, you know what? Neither one of those provides contentment. Where your contentment is is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm hungry, if I have Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We so often misquote that verse and think that verse means we can go out and pick up a Volkswagen if we love Jesus. It has nothing to do with it. What Paul says is we can live in contentment, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where our contentment is. Secondly, you can start giving. Look for situations and circumstances to give obviously Bible talks about we tithe we give 10 percent to the kingdom of God that we are storehouse tithers as, as good Westlands that we give that 10% a lot of you do that if you don't start somewhere start giving for those of you that do tithe look for other ways that you can be a blessing that you can give what God has entrusted to you whether that's we got a whole board out there with kids wanting to go to camp that envelopes that need to be picked up and people give to that there are things that you can give to. There are people that God brings into your path every day that you could be giving to whether it's love, whether it's time, whether it's kindness, whether it's a financial gift. There are things that you can do as a reflection of your trust and what God is doing in your life. The thing that stands out to me in this whole story is verse 21 that before Jesus tells him to go and sell all you have, Jesus says The Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before Jesus tells the rich young ruler to go and give all you have to the poor, it says he loved him. Jesus was not about telling him to do something that was off the wall. Jesus loved him and told him this in love. He was full of love. This wasn't about the rich young ruler earning Jesus' love or jumping through the right hoops. Jesus already loved him. It was about the rich young ruler realizing that God is an abundant God. And it comes down to this. Do you see God as being a miser and being stingy and cold-hearted? Or do you see God as being abundant, as being rich in mercy, as lavishing on you? So many times we've been talking about this in the men's Bible study. God is pictured as an abundant God. When everything Jesus does, he does it with an abundance. When he takes just the five loaves and the two fish, and what does he do? He feeds a crowd of 5,000 men. Some say it may be as many as 20,000, and not only does he feed it, but they have 12 baskets left over. When Jesus turns water into wine, they are out of it, and Jesus comes, and he takes this six gallons, or these six huge jars, 120 to 180 gallons, and Jesus turns it all to wine. It was more than they would ever drink. It was more than they could ever consume. But he does it and there is an abundance of it. Scripture constantly talks about the abundance of God. That God's great love for us. That Paul says he's rich in mercy. That he has incomparable riches of his great. And John says how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So it's all about trusting in our abundant God. So church, as we continue to work on our soul shifts. It's not about what we possess. It's about who do we trust? And where is our heart? I've often heard it said that the things that can tell the most about where you are spiritually is your calendar and your checkbook. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money is the best reflection of your trust in Jesus Christ than anything else. Because you can say and play the game all you want, but where you spend your time and where you spend your resources, that's what's really important to all of us. And so as we stand together and sing this last song, do you trust in your heavenly Father? Are you surrendered to Him and what He wants to do in your life? Thank you for joining us today on Shady Grove Radio. I'm Dan Loggins, and if you have any questions about anything you heard on Shady Grove Radio today, send me an email, dan at shadygroveradio.com, dan at shadygroveradio.com.